Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. All right, now let's move on to life-giving lessons. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. As we look at this subject, your forgiveness is showing or not. Today we're going to be looking at the concept of forgiveness. I believe that this morning we have the potential of having life change just like we have in, in every sermon. How awesome it's been to hear my brothers over the past couple weeks preach about what the kingdom of heaven is like, the wheat and the weeds, the pearl of great value. This kingdom is the main thing, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Well, today we're going to get another life-changing lesson from Jesus, and that is this idea of forgiveness. Number one, we have to understand forgiveness for our sins, for our salvation, comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's where it begins. All of us have to deal with forgiveness in our life. Every one of us has wronged someone where we had to go back and ask for forgiveness. There are many of us in this room who have been, has anybody ever been hurt in any way? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Man, I'm so surprised. I'm not surprised at all. We've all been hurt. We have to deal with this concept of forgiveness. People are unforgiving and they hold it for years. It may be against a parent. It may be against someone who's wronged us. It may be against a battle buddy. It may be against an NCO. It may be against somebody we work with. It may be against our own children. But the, the concept of forgiveness, the reason I believe this is so life-changing for us today is because this impacts every one of us. Before we read this passage, we're going to begin in verse 23, but I want to point out on the front end so that you notice it as we read, there are three episodes to this parable. And this parable, this story, is in the context of Peter asking Jesus, how much am I to forgive? Am I to forgive seven times? And Jesus says, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. And it is out of that that Jesus tells this story of the unforgiving servant. Now notice this before we read the passage. It's three parts. Verses 24 through 27 are going to be the master or the king and the first servant. The second scene is going to be that same first servant and a fellow servant. So it's going to be servant to servant. But then the last scene, verses 32 and 34, we're going to go back to another scene with the first servant and then with the master. And that'll be our three points. And uh, I've already pointed out, um, fill up that page full of notes if you're a note taker, just like Chloe uh, gave us the example, and you'll see your three points there. Before we do that, let's read God's word and let's look at the story together. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to begin. I'm going to go ahead and begin in verse 21. Peter came up and said to them, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, here's the story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had 
and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him or begging, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, here's scene number two, verse 28. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. We'll talk about it. It's a lot less than 10,000 talents. A hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Yes, they snitched. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, watch this, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What a story. This story today is about forgiveness. Is your forgiveness showing? Your forgiveness is showing or not? Let's look at this passage together. The first point is this. In that first scene with the king and the servant, I think we see this point number one. The grace-filled forgiveness of the debt. The grace-filled forgiveness of the debt. The picture of this man who owed this great debt. This first section, it, magnificent, it magnificently illustrates the boundless grace of God in forgiving sin. Now, what is the business of this talent? You can go down the rabbit hole of first century Palestine and, and, and get all these answers of how much it is. Bottom line, it's, it's a lot. This is my best guess, give or take some money, but a talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. What's a denarii? A denarii was the average wage of a, of a common person. When Jesus prayed, tell the disciples, pray, give us this day our daily bread, that's sort of how most people would have lived. They would have lived day to day. They needed that denarii to get all the basic sustenance. This is, there's no 401ks, there's no squirreling away money, there's no, tea, there's no thrift savings plans, there's none of that. But one talent is 6,000 denarii. Thus, 10,000 talents would have taken 200,000 years for a laborer to earn. 10,000 talents. The, the theme ranges from in the billions to depends on how you do the math of inflation. Those of you who are interested in such things, don't go down that Google rabbit hole right now. Just trust me that... Although I can't pinpoint the exact issue, the exact amount, I want you to understand that Jesus' point is this guy owed a massive debt that he could not pay. This servant owed an insane, incalculable debt. Remember what I said. One talent is 6,000 days wages, and the king was going to put him in jail with his wife, with his kids, until he paid it. Jesus' point being, 
This guy could not pay the debt of 10,000 talents. Does the theme of us having a debt that we cannot pay sound familiar anywhere in the Bible? Yes. Thank you for, thank you for that. Yes, it does. Throughout the scripture, it teaches us that sin is a debt that you and I cannot pay. In the Old Testament, in some places, like in Psalm 32, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about the, the covering of sin. In some places, it talks about, like in Psalm 51, which our brother just read, the wiping away of sin. Here, Jesus is talking about sin in the sense of a debt needing to be repaid. I want you to turn, just hold your place in Matthew 18. If you have a digital, use your digital device. If you have a, um, a hard copy of the Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. I want you to turn there. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you to help us understand the greatness of this debt, the grace-filled forgiveness of this insane debt. Go to Romans chapter 3, and let's look at what God says about sin. I was talking to a chaplain recently, and he said he was on a pastoral team some years back, and they said, oh, we just try to every week make everybody feel good. Well, I can't do that because i got to teach the Bible, and here's what the Bible says about sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 Follow along as I read. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. That's everybody. Verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands, none who seeks God. All have turned away. These are all quotes, by the way, from the Old Testament. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Sounds pretty bad, right? Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is establishing the fact that we are all under the penalty of sin. You can turn back to Matthew chapter 18. One of the verses that many people have memorized is what? In that same chapter in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans also says the wages of sin is death. You and I do not know how to evaluate an offense properly until you and I have a clear understanding of who the offense is against. This great debt of sin is what we owe. Here's the challenge of today. Now watch this. You and I live in a world where people don't think like that. Most people are not, as Vody Bauckham said, painfully aware of their sin, painfully aware of their debt in this world. Most people look at the world like this. You know what a set of scales is? A little balance scales? Here's how a lot of people that, that you interact with every day think, perhaps some of you. You think, well, here's my good, here's my bad. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? If my good is outweighs my bad, I will be good enough to be right with God. I will be good enough to go to heaven. But if my bad outweighs my good, I'll die and go to hell. That's how a lot of people think of things. Is that, does that sound familiar? People will say things like, well, I hope so. I've tried my best all my life. That falls into that scales category. The Bible, however, says that every single person, let me back up. Do you know who you are in this story? 
Do you know who I am in the story? We're the guy with the 10,000 talent, insane debt that cannot be paid. We desperately need someone to come on our, alongside of us and pay the debt for us. You're in church, you guessed it, the answer that someone is Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again for our sin. Some people not only do this scale thing, talking about this debt, some people also, especially in modern days, they, they say sin and wrong are relative. So, so for some people, it's not even so much that it's a scale. It's, well, here, here's how I know I'm going to be right. I have my own set of values. I have my own set of truths. As long as I'm true to my heart and as long as I follow my heart, by the way, the Bible says our heart's deceitful and wicked, so don't follow that all the time. But the modern world says, as long as I follow my heart, and some people will say follow my truth, as long as I'm true to myself, I will be okay when everything is said and done. That will not work because that doesn't solve the problem that you and I have a 10,000 talent debt that has to be repaid. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to be painfully aware of our debt and understand we've been forgiven this great debt. Does that make sense? Point number two. Point number two. Let's look at scene number two. In the first one, we saw this great forgiveness of this king. But in point number two, we see a disgraceful disdain of the great forgiveness. This story of this, of this servant to his fellow servant underlines the absurdity, just the ridiculousness of grace spurn. Let's go back and go back and look at it one more time. What does he do in verse 26? Oh, excuse me, excuse me, verse 28. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now remember, one talent is six thousand denarii. Maybe it's five, maybe it's ten. Just just go with me. It's it's a big discrepancy. So this guy owed him a hundred denarii. No small amount. That's a little over three months of, of wages. That's a pretty, pretty good chunk of change. But look at his attitude in verse 28. When the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Look at seizing him. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant, he pleaded for mercy. Oh, forgive me. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. But he refused and put him in prison until he paid his debt. This unforgiving servant contrasts with his fellow debtor in respect to the amount forgiven and with his master in respect to his attitude toward forgiving others, which, by the way, you and I are being watched all the time. We're being observed by others around us by the way we respond when we are injured by others. Your forgiveness is showing or not. This grace was spurned. Maybe you're here and you're holding unforgiveness in your heart right now. It might be against someone who did something to you 20 years ago. You might be holding a grudge against somebody who has gone from this earth who has died. I don't know. You might be holding a grudge from something that happened this morning on the way to church. It probably doesn't happen in this congregation, but in congregations I've worked with in the past, a lot of fighting and shenanigans happen in families on the way to church. I'm sure that never happens with Schofield Community Chapel, but in some of the other chapels I've served in, that seems to happen with families. It happens in mine too, amen. Holding a grudge. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a mom, a dad, 
Maybe it's with a child. The disgraceful disdain of a great forgiveness. You hear phrases like this. I hear them. You don't know what they did against me. The disburned grace from coming out of the mouth of one who claims to have been forgiven the greatest debt of all. And I realize, I am tracking, that sin and being wronged has to have a price paid sometimes. I ran across an illustration just last week, and I won't dime anybody out, but there was a wonderful, well-done memorial service here at this, at this chapel last week. And in the teardown, someone accidentally stepped on one of the cords. And it sort of bent it and it broke it. So a wonderful, awesome NCO was smart enough to know, oh man, Shepard Brazel, he needs to know this. He might, I don't know if he needs this cord for Sunday, so I got a picture. Hey, the cord was broken. So the picture and the thing just kind of goes, Womp, it's broken on the side. Wanted you to know just in case you needed this cord for Sunday. Now, the cord costs like 10 bucks. We've got like five of them. It's an expendable item, we would call it, right? So what do you do? You just throw it away and get another one. But here's my point. Even though that's a teeny tiny thing in the grand scheme of what we're talking about, I want you to see, though, I understand when an offense takes place, there's still a debt that has to be repaid. It broke. What do you got to do? I got to fix it. I got to replace it. I understand all too well, just as many of you do, that on a greater scale, when someone wrongs you and when someone wrongs me, and when you're faced with this tall order, it seems like on the surface, to forgive them, it's easy to go, you don't know what they've done to me because I realize the debt and the spurn and the hurt is real and must be dealt with. Let me give you something that I think will help that I ran across that, that helped me understand this. Again, understanding the great forgiveness that we have been given through Christ. You and I, our bitterness and anger towards sin, it can only last if you and I try to keep ourselves on the moral high ground of the person that we're mad at. If you think about every person you're bitter with or any time you've ever had that bitterness in your heart, if you think in terms of, I'm so, why are you so angry with them? How are you able to keep that anger going? Number one, because you love it, because you want to see them you know, get revenge. Number two, because you, have the, you, you feel like in your heart you're better than them. Does that make sense? The times that I'm angry, I'm angry because I'm so much better because I'm better than them. Here's a secret. If you want to feel good about yourself, which a lot of modern, I don't know, concepts tell you that's what you're supposed to do is feel good about yourself, go find somebody who's more of a heathen than you and you'll look pretty good. Just go look on the news and find the people doing the most heinous crimes. You'll go, oh, at least I'm better than them. Then you're back to the scales. What I'm saying is this. If we are painfully aware of the fact that we were sinners in need of a Savior, and we understand that our eternal debt for sin has been forgiven in Christ, and we look at that other person who's wronged us through that lens, I believe that'll help some of that anger to melt away. I believe it'll work. As one of my brothers pointed out in our preaching team, some people say, you ever heard the phrase, they bury the hatchet? We're going to forget it. But what happens sometimes is you bury the hatchet, and what do you do? You leave the handle sticking out. Why? 
So you grab it, pull it back out of the ground, and do it again. What do you mean? You get in an argument with your spouse, and you start bringing up what? You pull it out. Unforgiveness. The ridiculousness of a grace spurn from someone who has been forgiven for so much. Now, point number three. Point number three is the just fate of the unmerciful. The just fate of the unmerciful. Let's walk through this story. This servant owed another servant 100 denarii. The one who had been forgiven. He, see, he grabs the guy. He chokes the guy. Pay me what you owe. Now we come to scene three. The king, the, the master, he comes back. And let's go back and look at what he said in verse number 32. He called him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Some of your translations there, I think, say torturers. Until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus, the hard saying here, the kicker, is that so my heavenly father will do with every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A very difficult saying. You're telling me that if I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, that I'm not saved? Jesus addresses this in several ways throughout the scripture. And let me look at a couple of scriptures to help help this to, to make sense. I want you to look. You can go to Matthew chapter 25 if you want, or I will simply read it to you. You'll remember this story. Jesus told some people in Matthew 25, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he said this. He said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they'll answer, remember this story, Lord, when we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger needing clothes and did not help you, remember what Jesus said, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to everlasting life. Jesus is teaching not so much when you read the Bible as a whole. He's not saying that you do these things to be right with God. He's not saying if you go feed hungry people and go do good things, then we're back to that scales, right? There's no, there's no earning salvation. It's all of grace. But what he's saying is not so much that we're saved by our works of forgiveness. In other words, if I'm a forgiving person, that means God saves me. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that our attitude of forgiveness is a demonstration of our salvation and it is a demonstration of our right relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that perhaps those who have experienced forgiveness, if you are one who says, if I say I have experienced forgiveness, but in my heart I'm not able to express forgiveness, this piece of scripture is challenging you and I to go back and go, well, wait a minute. If I'm not able to express forgiveness, have I really experienced forgiveness myself? When we make light of forgiveness, we tend to be self-righteous. We tend to judge others. We tend to be unforgiving of others. 
We began our reading by seeing where Jesus answers Peter and Jesus says, excuse me, Peter says, am I supposed to forgive seven times? And then Jesus says, what? No, 70 times seven. He doesn't literally mean, well, is that 77 times or is it 490 times? Let me write that in my SOP so that I count them all right. That's not the point. It's as many times as it takes. A person who has been forgiven should always be forgiving as your brother or as your sister come to you in repentance and ask for forgiveness. What you may say, well, you might say this, well, this passage is talking about Jesus' illustration is for people who ask me for forgiveness. That means if they just stay jerks, I just get to hate them. Right? No. Answer no. Answer no. No. It means that Christians have no room and no right time to ever have bitterness, hatred, ill will. Remember Paul said to get rid of what? Bitterness and anger and rage and, and all those forms of, of, of malice. This concept of understanding our own forgiveness means we will, we will not harbor grudges. We won't plot revenge. We'll move on with our lives. That must be the goal of all believers, irrespective of the reaction or perpetrator of the offense. The challenge is this. This imperative of forgiveness, you know what it does? When we're people who are holding grudges, it intrudes into our, our cherished grudges, our, our, our root of bitterness. Like the, like the Old Testament talks about the high places of the altar of Baal. We, we hold on to our bitterness and we hold on to our anger. But when we look at this passage, it sort of unmasks our guerrilla warfare against the concept of forgiveness because we're so wanting to hold on to, but you don't know what they've done for me. It's interesting the metaphor that Jesus uses for this unforgiving servant. He says, put him in jail and let the jailers torture him until he pays his debt. When you and I stay in the realm of unforgiveness, you're just putting yourself in jail. You play Monopoly, what happens when you land on go to jail? Right? You go to jail. You and I are living our life. We're wrong. Somebody wrongs us. We hold it in our hearts. We're unforgiving. We're bitter. We're anger. We just got the go to jail card and it was self-inflicted. You put yourself in jail. You want out of jail? Get out of jail free card? Well, forgive. Forgive. Jesus wants us to be like him and be forgiving. When you look at what the earlier in the passage in scene number one, when it talks about the king, the master, it says he had pity on the servant. Some translations there say he had compassion on the servant. Jesus' closing statement says, if you do not have a heart for your brothers. Jesus lived his ministry wearing this badge of grace and forgiveness and compassion. There was a scholar about 100 or so years ago named B.B. Warfield. I ran across his work when I was studying for this, and he wrote an article where he traced through the Gospels all the emotion words attached to Christ. He literally looked through every time it said something about Jesus being happy, sad, mad, whatever, 
he, he, did a, he did a word study. You know what he found out? He found out that the main set of words that are used by Jesus Christ as he interacted with people was compassion, pity. He had a heart for people. He had a love for people. What is your badge? In the army, we wear all kinds of badges and tabs and all that stuff. If we're in uniform, what do we do? We, we sort of we look here, we look here, we look here, we look here. We're looking for things like we're looking for the, the combat action badge. We're looking for the expert infantry badge, the expert soldier badge. We're looking for air assault, airborne, jungle, ranger, special forces. The tab, the badge that Jesus wore was this badge of compassion because he wanted to demonstrate to us the model of forgiveness. Christ is teaching us in this passage that we are to model forgiveness in everything that we do. God deals graciously with the repentant and the forgiving. He deals firmly with the prideful and the self-righteous. John Piper said it this way, Christ cancels our sin in order to awaken love in our hearts. In just a minute, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing our closing song. But my question to you is, your forgiveness is showing. Or is it? What will your badge be? Maybe you're here and you've heard all this. And, and by the way, this whole concept of us being a sinner in need of a Savior, that's also what we call the gospel. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I have wonderful news. You may be here saying, oh, I've done so many bad things, I can't be forgiven. The good news is, no, Jesus Christ's blood was shed for the remission of sin. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can have that forgiveness of sins. You may be here and... I didn't do anything but share God's word, but maybe there's a name that's on your heart right now because you know that's the person you hold that bitterness against. Maybe the answer for you for this message is to go to one of these rooms back here and have a talk. We'll save a biscuit for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's to pick up the phone and call somebody. It's daytime right now on the mainland. If we're holding that root of bitterness, we wear the badge of compassion and forgive as one who's been forgiven of so much. And I can't think of a better way to be an example to Schofield community. I can't think of a better way for us as parents to be examples to our children than to demonstrate this in our lives on a regular basis. Your forgiveness is showing, or is it? Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have dealt so graciously with us, as Romans says, while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. You say in this passage that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. God, I pray that your rule and your reign in our lives would be a badge of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. God, if we ever have that root of just anger and bitterness pop in our lives, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would remind us, hey, don't forget what you've been forgiven of. You had a debt that you could not pay. God, may our gratitude and our love and our thankfulness just bleed over and pour over into the lives of the people around us. And may it be known that we are yours because of our love and because of our compassion. God, I pray that we would worship you as we, as we sing about your kingdom, that your kingdom would be built in us as we live our lives as people of forgiveness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.